Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Of the Thundercast, follow us on Twitter, Thundercast underscore pod. Uh, the links to all of our social medias are in the descriptions of all of our episodes. So go click the links and, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting network. Share the links with your friends too, so we can continue to grow the listener base. We make it really easy for you if you prefer video format. We got you covered over on YouTube. If you like to just listen in an audio only format, we got you covered over there too. We're on all major podcasting outlets. So the Thundercast is really, really easy. To subscribe to Russ, we had a pretty big week in uh, herd athletics. It's been a up and down journey over the last yep. month, and we're going to talk about a lot of it. Basketball season starting to gear up, and uh, there's other uh, teams that are still competing at high levels on the fields of play. So let's get into all of it. But first, let's get a quick word from our sponsors at 304carwreck.com. If you've been injured in a car wreck, Visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. What happens when an Ohio driver crashes into a West Virginia driver in Kentucky? That can be a mess. But if you can dream it up, Jason and Matt have probably been there, done that, and gotten their clients paid. Don't fight the insurance companies alone. Contact Jason and Matt at 304carwreck.com. Big week. Mm-hmm. Um, actually... It's, it might have been a little over a week since we did a show. I don't know. It's It's been a little extended. It seems like it's been a little bit more than seven days, maybe closer to 10. And there was a lot that went on. So let's start it off with five things that every herd fan needs to know for this week. Yeah, and this week we do have a bonus, six things. So today it will be six things every herd fan needs to know this week. As always, brought to you by IgniteLink, the Tri-State's premier IT management team. Number one, a little break from tradition. This is all Russ's view and not uh, a news bite. But I think it is something every Herd fan needs to know. Uh, More than athletics, J.J. Roberts on the field was a situation that transcends our sports and our cheering and everything that we do. Uh, We're talking about a scary situation that was uh, playing out in real time for folks that were there in live and watching on television. And uh, I just wanted to talk about it for a second and talk about one. We're so thankful that the, the young man is walking and out and going through the recovery process. Uh, It's amazing that there was no uh, major, major injury from this. Yeah. Um, But two, I just want to reiterate that these are, real human beings. They're not simulated people in a video game. Uh, they're not professional athletes that, uh, you've never met before or anything. This is a man, but still a kid from right here locally in Ona, West Virginia that was out there on the field and, uh, one row behind me, one or two seats over was a very close personal family friend of JJ. And, uh, that made it even more real, you know, just hearing in real time, all that stuff that was going on. So 
I just wanted to remind everybody uh, that these athletes that are out here in all of our sports are human beings and they're putting their welfare on the line at all times. You know, you can get hit in the head with a baseball. You can get a line drive uh, taken to you. Um, you know, you can hyperextend a knee, break something, you know, get a spinal injury in just about any sport where you don't walk again. So I think that's something every herd fan needs to know this week is we just kind of center and ground ourselves to remind ourselves that these athletes are humans and I don't know. It was just a scary situation. Yeah, it was a really scary situation because it was a longer than usual break for a, an injury. And anytime that yeah. kind of stuff happens, you start to get concerned and it's only natural to start thinking the worst, you know, mm -hmm. but everything is, uh, it, it, everybody out there handling that situation is so uber careful. Right. And that's why these things take longer than normal because you want to take your time with something that could be potentially very, very serious. And, Thankfully, you're right. It, it was a serious injury, right, in the sense that we don't know this. I'm speculating, but in the sense that J.J. may not play again this season, but it wasn't serious enough to, from what we know at least now, to, like, be life-altering, right? It, it might yeah. be life-altering. Again, I don't want to put anything out there that's bad information, but, like, life-altering in a sense, like, well, you may not play competitively again. I don't know that. I'm just saying. But he's out of the hospital. He's walking. That type of life-altering we know is not had did not happen. Okay, and, and we don't know the finer details of his situation, but all we know is uh, we, what we've seen on social media from family and, and people closer to the situation, and they seem far more upbeat about it. So that's really good, you know. There's yeah, so with, much, with, go ahead, I'm sorry. I was gonna say, there's kid. so much that goes into, into these things, and there's so much information that can go in the wrong direction, and you really don't want to be doom and gloom, and there's privacy and, and all this kind of stuff. But I think what herd fans just need to know is that uh, – this could have been a far worse situation, yeah. and it wasn't. That's yeah. the thing you really need to know. Now you just err on the side of caution. Give the give the family their space. Let them go through the process. Continue to send your well wishes and your love and all the positive vibes that you got because that matters, man. You know that that means something. But uh, now it's it's just time to rally around that family and and let them handle their process. And and if and when JJ makes a return to even just the facility. I mean, hell, he might be back in school. I don't know. But I'm just saying, like, even when he makes a return to the facility just to be around the team again, that's when you can really start to celebrate what uh, what has transpired since he went down. But, man, it was scary. It was scary. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we are not going to put out anything that's unconfirmed or anything like that. But from the family, from the mom, she did make it public on social media that there were, was no neck or spinal cord injury. Uh, and he kind of put his own update out there that, that said that he's doing better than well or something like that. Yeah. And from uh, what they have said, it was more of a head injury uh, than a, a neck injury still obviously scary. I mean, um, you can, you can get hit in the head the wrong way and die, you know? So, um, basically what I wanted to point out in this is this is much greater than the outcome of a game. And we just need to remember that, that while yes, we're going to cheer, uh, wildly for our sports teams that our athletes out here are putting their, bodies and lives on the line at all times. And I think we just need to remember that. Yep. I would agree. It's easy for your average fan to 
look at athletes and coaches as these, like, not like you said, not real people, but they're real people. Yeah. You know, they have they families, are. they yeah. have issues, just like we have issues, and their 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 lives are just as every bit as complex as my life and your life is. And and but also these are someone's kids, you know. So they have parents yeah. sitting up in there and watching, and and so just keep it in perspective. We're we're by no means saying like you know, this loss doesn't hurt any more than and, and, uh, any other loss, but just keep it in perspective. You know, there's some other storylines that came out of this game as far as player reaction that I'll talk to talk about in a little bit, but this kind of is, is the, was the most important thing that happened there. And the best news about it all is that it, it is a positive outcome so far. You know, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a really good outcome in a bad situation so far for JJ. I'm so happy for him and, and send him all the love that, that he, he can have for me, you know, and, and you too. I know that, but, um, I'm, I'm going to pull for him obviously forever, but, uh, I'm just so ha happy that this went a, a, in a positive direction when it could have been something far worse. Yeah. Number two on our list of five in this week, six things is Abby Herring. You ever heard that name before? Named Sun Belt Conference Women's Runner of the Week last week. <laughs> well, how's that not a thing like every week? I just, I wonder. <laughs> I don't know. You remember she finished, uh, I think it was 16th out of 385 or 13th out of 385, somewhere in the, in the mid-teens. Uh, set a personal and school record, which she seems to just continue to do, is better her own record in all this <laughs> stuff. Uh, but gonna have, yeah. you know how they usually do, like um, in a record book, they'll have like I don't know, top twenty finishes, you know, or something like that. Like for football, they'll have like the top twenty leading rushers in a career. They're just going to have to lengthen, like, well, we can't do the top twenty because they're all Abby. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? We're going to have to run the list down until we hit another name, and that's where we'll cut it off. That's but congratulations to her, man. I, I still we somehow we need to get a hold of her and get her on the show somehow. Yeah, I mean, she has. I think I think you've said this before, but she has probably been the most individually named as far as one of the things, you know, because it's always breaking her own record, shattering a previous record, you know, that sort of thing. So. We've got to at one point talk to her about this. Uh, number three, we're going to stick to the uh, Sunbelt Conference of the Weeks, and we picked up another one in soccer. This was for last week, not this week's games that just ended, but uh, named right after we recorded, Pablo Simone named uh, Sunbelt Conference Men's Soccer Offensive Player of the Week. Cool, man. This is like... Uh... <laughs> I don't know how many, I don't know if you keep track, but it seems like an, a weekly thing. So, um, like I said, it, there, there's been a lot of up and a lot of down, and we're going to get into more of that later. But individually, these guys are still accomplishing a lot within the confines of the Sun Belt. We, you know, we had been achieving some rarefied things on a national stage. And, uh, you know, I have some thoughts on what that means moving forward, but, any of the week is a great thing, is, is a great, great thing. And it seems like this Marshall soccer team just has dominated those of the weeks, particularly the offensive player of the week category yeah. all year long. It had gotten to the point where we had missed one week. And I don't know, it seems like we've missed out on another week since then. But at one point, we had gotten them all but one was the offensive player of the week. 
let's see. Number four, we're sticking with the Sunbelt Conference uh, news bites here. And this also came out after we had recorded uh, our last five things. But uh, Kerfman and Obina, Camden Kerfman and uh, uh, Obina and Achille Killen were both named to the second team preseason all Sunbelt Conference for the men. And just a little aside, Marshall was picked seventh amongst the coaches in the preseason poll. Yeah, I don't think that's really disrespectful when you think mm-hmm. about what happened. All that departed. we lost. Yeah. yeah. And Kinsey uh, exhaust eligibility and Taylor and Han Logden both hit the portal. I mean, huge pieces, you know. So we made some moves. And if you listen to the media day uh, with Danny and, and Cam Kerfman, you really get a sense of um, how some of the guys that they brought in this year are going to fit into the picture and how you can't always just look at a stat line from a player at a, at a previous stop. Mm-hmm. And then We said that. And then let that form your entire opinion. So th- this is an interesting uh, team makeup, I think. You know, how is the how are these pieces going to come together? But it, it's, it's not surprising that Kerfman and Obina are both on the second team. It's a little... Uh, maybe frustrating from a fan perspective if you're going to be selfish that nobody landed on the first team because you know that uh, Cam has the absolute ability to take over a game if he catches a hot hand. He can mm-hmm. he can absolutely just start raining threes. But will he have to? You know, will, will, so, will that much of the offense fall on him that he has to do that? I don't know. You know, that's, that's why there's so many unknowns that are on this basketball team. And when we do a... Um, you know, a preseason roster breakdown like we did last year, we'll have to dive into some of that stuff and just kind of see maybe what it ultimately will look like. But good news nonetheless. You know, Ovin is just one of those gutsy type players who's who's always going 100%, and it seems to be in on every single trip down the floor. He never just falls away um, during portions of the game. He may not be a huge scorer all the time, but defensively he's just ever-present. And, and I think that's probably the main draw for him landing on an all-SBC team is the defensive capability that he brings. So I think there are some other guys on this roster that are going to make some strides this year, some, some yeah. other players that are going to see a rise. It's not unfair that, you, that they are omitted from an all-SBC team because they just didn't play huge roles last year. I mean, 60% of the starting five basically isn't there. So. Right. You, some of these guys are going to be tasked with playing larger roles. Guys like Connor and Fricks, you know, they're going to have to be a larger contributor, and I think they will be. But to just blanketly hand them a, a spot on an all-SBC team without having to prove in, or having proven anything yet, that's not unfair. And the seventh-place finish, I love it. It's right in the middle of the league, so I doubt anybody lost more than we lost from a production standpoint. And to still land right in the middle of the league, says that there's still a lot of respect there for what Marshall is bringing back. And the real questions are, how will these uh, newcomers gel with the guys that were there? And is this legitimately maybe a top two, three, four team in the Sun Belt? I don't want to go so far as to say they're going to be the best team in the league. They could be, but this was a team that set a record for wins last year. I mean, for well, the most in God knows how many years it was. I don't remember the the how many decades it had been. <laughs> And we weren't a you know top team in the top team last year. So if you can land into that top three four spot 
that's kind of where you want to be. So we'll see if they're able to live up to the hype and maybe overachieve a little bit. Yeah. Um, women's basketball is our number four thing. And we had Rochella Scott named to the first team. And also the women's team was picked ninth out of 14. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Pick them ninth. That's fine. Again, a lot of unknowns there, you know, and we know that uh, coach Kim Stevens Caldwell is going to have to really change everything that Marshall did before. This is completely new. How much success will you see in year one? That's the that's the hugest question mark, right? We don't even mm-hmm. know. We can have all the uh, prognostications that we want and bring in all these players that were high performers from other teams and other divisions and all this kind of stuff, and you really don't know until you start playing games. Mm-hmm. So I also love that that they can use that as as probably saying, all right, well, they don't think we can do this. And I'm yep. sure that's part of her message to motivate her team. Rochelle Scott being a first-team awesome belt conference performer, I think it's, that's a slam dunk to use a bad pun because she was just so good all year. And, you know, we talked about it how many times, how many game recaps where we would just do around the herd, and, and we would say, well, you know, it really seems like if Marshall has that third score, they win a game. It's mm-hmm. Beeman and Scott, and if they get a third one, they they manage to usually win those games. And the moves that, that Coach Kim made in the portal – particularly bringing in a number of her players from Glenville, mm-hmm. I think gives Marshall that third, fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth or seventh score, depending on who's on the floor. And you say this a lot. They do a lot of basically like hockey line subbing, five in, five out, or yeah. your wholesale changes. That's a lot to try to transition into a new league. Will it work out to the Sun Belt doesn't see this coming, so they're not built to defend it properly, or – is it going to be more of a rough start and we got to try to figure it out on on uh, on the move and on the fly don't really know but uh, i'm not angry at either of that either of those pieces of news obviously you're not going to be mad at Rochelle Scott being first team all SBC being a ninth place preseason finish i'm not mad at that either because that that affords them the opportunity to send the messaging that they're overlooking us they don't think we're mm-hmm. going to be any good they're basing everything off of last year blah 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 and we know that there are key components that returned. So I think Marshall has the makings to be what I'm hoping for the men to be a top three or four team. I think Marshall, the Marshall women can be a top three or four team in year one under Coach Stevens Caldwell. Yeah, and it, it could 100% go either way. Uh, you're putting in a brand new system. You got to get your players in. But now with the transfer portal the way it is, you have a, an easier way to get them in. You know, you don't have to wait for a full recruiting cycle to get players that fit that system. Uh, But I do think that with the players that we already had, they were kind of already, several of them, geared for this type of deal. They pushed the ball up the court and they scored a lot. So um, it's just going to be interesting to see. But I do know one thing. uh, We are very close to being able to see this in action. And we're going to talk about that later on exactly when, but you can get tickets right now for both the men's and women's uh, squads. You can get season tickets, make sure to go to herd zone to do so. Uh, Number six, we have uh, a deadline coming up in about a week, give or take. And it's by October the 31st, Tuesday, you have got to get your bricks for the baseball stadium. If you don't, you cannot be on the list to be picked for season tickets for baseball. We talked about that last week with Ryan Crisp. Just do not forget your bricks. 
Yep, that's right. You can go back and listen to that episode. It's in the title, you know, Heard Baseball Season Tickets with Ryan Crisp. And he outlines everything that you need to do, like, from step one. So there's no confusion. But absolutely, you have to buy a brick. And remember, it's a one-time cost, and this is your opportunity to get something permanent at the stadium that's going to be there as long as that stadium is going to be there. I personally uh, told you that I was going to buy a brick in honor of my father-in-law. I did that a couple of days ago, and I'm really excited about uh, having done that for him, and and he'll have a place at, at Jack Cook Field forever. I'm not going to utilize my brick to buy season tickets, so um, I'm not going to be engaging in that because, hey, I live 900 miles away. What am I going to do with season tickets? Of course, the podcast still is going to be trying to utilize their brick for buying season tickets so that we can then give those away. But mm -hmm. Halloween, October 31st, so if you're listening to this Three days from now, you're only going to have a couple of days to buy your brick, and, and the orders have to be in by the 31st in order to get your name on the list for season tickets that will be in the beginning of December. So don't wait any longer. Herdbricks.com. There will be a, a link, and, uh, you know, it's really easy. I mean, I think, it, I think it took me, you know, maybe two minutes to order the brick. So yeah, got to get it done. I haven't gotten mine yet either because I've been trying to find the perfect thing since it's going to be etched on there forever. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have got to do it uh, probably before this weekend, before I go to the coastal game, I'm going to sit down and have what I have on there. And if by Thursday, I don't have a good idea of what I want on the living good family brick, it's just going to say the living good family brick, <laughs> but we're going to get one. Uh, yes. It'll say, uh, where, I guess, are these going on the, uh, they're not going on the facade, right? They're going in the, no, on the plaza. Plaza, yeah. Yeah. And it's got a plaza. name. That's, that's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's got a name, and I can't remember the, the name yeah. of the plaza there, but uh, 100% that's where it's going. And you're going to want to be able, you know, take your kids, and then your kids can take their kids years down the road and say, hey, there's the brick that, that was bought uh, to... Yeah. To help get it, this place built. It's a once in a lifetime thing, man. I mean, you got to be able to do it. You got to do it now. And I said this before, they may open up like another section of the concourse or not concourse, but the plaza or something to sell more. At a, but you can't guarantee that'll happen. So take advantage of this now. If you've got, it, it's as little as what, like 200 bucks or something like that to get a brick and you get a brick that matches the one you, that's going to go in the plaza. So I, eventually I will have one when it shows up, it'll, be a part of my backdrop here somehow. I'm going to have to, maybe I'll put it over here on this table under the Cato jersey. But, uh, you know, so that'll be part of my, part of my twi uh, Twitter background shit, my podcast studio background. So. Herdbricks.com and the cheapest one. I mean, you can get certificates, you can get display cases, you can get whatever you want to up there, but just getting a brick. It's 195 uh, plus probably a little bit of tax and some fees. Yeah. So I think I we got I got the standard brick and then I got of course the complimentary replica that comes included in the price and then my brother-in-law wanted a copy so he got an additional replica that's going to be sent to him you know they're going to ship it directly to him and uh, all and it comes with a certificate also but uh, I think we got all that and it was under 280 bucks shipped and that's for three total bricks and the certificate. So you got to do it, man. 
All right. Well, that ends our six things this week. Every Herd fan needs to know, as always, brought to you by Ignite Link. Well, we thank those guys because, you know, Ignite Link has just been so integral in what we do. And, and I want to talk about, uh, you know, a little bit when we do the uh, the James Madison recap because the uh, Thundercast Live was probably the most epic that we've had so far in terms of guests that were on the show. So we'll mm -hmm. talk about that in a minute. But first, I want to switch it up a little bit. I want to take it around the herd because I think there are some things that are going to be included. As a matter of fact, I know there are going to be some things that are going to be included that I'm going to want to utilize, and it'll fit better when I'm uh, doing grades for uh, James Madison with you. So let's go around the herd. All right. We're going to start with tennis. And at the ITA Atlantic Regionals, uh, there were five different days all last week. Uh, Hurion, Vander Hayden, and Strom all made the round of 32 in singles. Hurion and McGrain made the round of 16 in doubles. And then Strom ended up winning her consolation match after being eliminated after the round of 32. Pretty good showing. Yep, good start to her tennis. They were good last year, man. And, you know, they were, they were going neck and neck with Old Dominion until mm -hmm. they had the head-to-head -head with Old Dominion. But Old Dominion was... I don't want to say things like far and away better, but they're a really good tennis team. Weren't, weren't they like sixth in the country yeah. or eighth in the country? I mean, they they were a notch above everyone in the Sun Belt. Everyone. We were, yeah, we we were better than a lot of the Sun Belt field, and then ODU was just better than everyone in the Sun Belt. Yep, they were, and that's what I'm saying. It's not a knock on her tennis at all. We were a really good team, and I'm expecting a strong result of the 2023 mm -hmm. fall season uh, this year. But man. I mean, they we fell in some top rankings. I don't remember yes. what it was. Were we like a top twenty, top top fifty, something like we wherever were they cut? Top, the we were top eight on, uh, 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 not draft class, of uh, recruiting class. Uh, I think it was no. eight. It may have been higher. Yeah, that was number eight in mid-major tennis ranking. I remember that or recruiting ranking. But I'm talking about. Remember, we were going in uh, up against the match leading into old dominion and we were both top ranked teams you know they were like you said number five or something like that and we were like 20 something or 30 something. i'd have to go back and find it but i remember us catching a ranking and i thought wow that was i didn't see that coming so you can expect more wins from herd tennis this year i, I think uh, you know another year of development another year of of just uh honing your craft and your skill it's natural that you would think a mostly intact team from a year ago is going to be better this year. So Old Dominion, I expect to be really strong again. I think perennially they are just a strong tennis program year in and year out. But I expect some uh, some marked success from herd tennis once again, and we're seeing it right now. We saw it in Thunder in the Mountains. We saw it, we're seeing it now. Herd tennis is off and running, man. So keep track on on some of these tennis players because I think they're going to accomplish some great things. Don't be surprised if you see several of the weeks from the, t the Sun Belt tennis team or the Sun Belt this year for herd tennis. I think we're in for something special. Over in volleyball, we uh, beat App State 3-0 uh, and then 3-2 on the sets for Friday and Saturday. And this is a great bounce back week after being swept last week. Mm -hmm. And now we are heading to Coastal for Friday at 6 p.m. and Saturday at 1 p.m. So here's the deal. What's going on in Coastal on Saturday? Well, I'll tell you, there's a big football game. So if you're going to be down there, why not go over and 
you've got two different opportunities to go cheer on your Marshall Herd volleyball team, 6 p.m. on Friday if you're getting down there by that time, and then 1 p.m. on Saturday before you start tailgating. Dude, I think that would be freaking awesome if Herd fans that were going to the football game invaded the volleyball match and basically turned that into a home match for the Herd down at Coastal. How freaking cool would yep. that be? I'm going to look, I'm trying to look real quick and I don't know. Oh, wait About a how uh, the proximity. No, dude, you're, you're, you're either herd zones wrong or you're wrong. I'm looking at the schedule. It says our, their coastal matches at, at the cam. I read this wrong. Oh man. I thought we the, were going to do something really cool. I was going to look it up and see if they had tickets that were, if they were this free. Is, this is the only mistake I'll ah, ever make on this show. Dang. But I, but I, I was ready I, to go on, go all in on that. I wrote in shorthand and I put host instead of Marshall is hosting. Yeah. I just wrote host coastal and I was like, Oh, coastal's hosting. Oh man. Uh, I was, we, I was going to, I was on my way to the coastal website to see if they charged for volleyball matches. Cause damn, we'll, that would have been cool. We'll edit all this out. It's like, I tell you what, just go anyway. <laughs> there probably won't be anybody there. Yeah. But just, just go. <laughs> no, Maybe they'll I, put it on the big screen for dang, us. Dang, that would have been so cool. That's it all right. It would but, have. But I'm, just, I'm sure that's why we haven't seen anything on social media. Yeah, about probably. Yeah, probably so. Hey, don't worry about it. Just, just don't listen to that last minute and a half. It's not a big deal. Yeah, fast forward. Uh, <laughs> but fast look, forward, the, they did win. The uh, Old Mountain Feud Volleyball Edition, which is cool. I mean, I know, f you know, App fans for, um, or not App fans, but Marshall fans really like to beat App State, you know, mm -hmm. and, and uh, I think I, in this young Sunbelt era uh, where we're still trying to figure out who we like beating the most, you know, last year I think a lot of our uh, several athletes indicated that they really – circle games against Louisiana. They like to beat Louisiana because we've got short history with them, a couple of football games already, and and the basketball series was really competitive. And I think for a lot of fans, or at least in, in our capacity, with the ones that we interact with a lot, they really like beating James Madison and playing against James Madison. But there's just always going to be a huge sector of the fan base that wants to beat App State in everything that we play. So to be able to uh, take a – get a little bit of a sweep against them. Always a good feeling. So congratulations yep. to Coach Ari and that squad for holding serve, so to speak, at home and, and winning the old Mountain Feud Volleyball match. Yeah, and I hate that I made that mistake. I mean, I, right. I hate making mistakes on here anyway, but I was, <laughs> since I'm going to yeah. Coastal, I'm sitting here, you know, the wheels are turning. It's like, yeah, if I could get down there in time for that 6 p.m., you know, uh, how could I make that happen? It's all right. One day the, the stars will align and that'll be able to be a thing and we'll we'll pump it up then. But yeah, just I don't know why the Sun Belt doesn't do that sort of thing. You know, if uh, these seasons are overlapping, they should kind of look at that. You know, That's because a good I, idea. I'm maybe I'll take that to the commissioner the next time he and I have lunch. Well, I would really like it if you also got me in touch with him because I still have a tremendous idea that I want to share and I'm not going to divulge it. Because I don't want somebody stealing the idea, and I think it would be great. I think I know what it is, and it involves Judy being ousted as the uh, CUSA no, she, commissioner. She can stay there forever. That's fine. She can stay there forever. No, that's just that's a rider in all my ideas. 
All right, so next thing that we're moving to is men's golf, and they finished fifth out of 13 in the Dayton Invitational last week. Joseph Kalaski led the team with a two-under, and that was good for tied for 11th overall individually. Tyler Jones, one over, and Ryan Bilby, three over, also placed amongst the top 26. Very good showing for the herd. They traveled to Brown Summit, North Carolina for the Bryan National Men's Collegiate Sunday through Tuesday, October 29th through October 31st. Cool. Yeah, a couple strong showings. Three, really. Top 26. I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, Herd Golf is is, um, doing well. Doing well. There were 80 80 individual golfers on the leaderboard for that. Uh, So three in the top 26. I'll take that. Yeah, I mean, you, essentially, I know the percentages aren't exact, but call it the top quarter. That's yeah, it's pretty good. You know, three in the top quarter ish. Let's call it that. Also, last thing, sell the hats. Would you sell the hats? Yeah. All right, women's golf. Casey McIlvain finished fourth overall. Very good showing for her, and the women were one shot off of fifth place in their match last week. Yeah. Did I see this right, that we got an of the week from women's golf? Am I remembering that wrong? That, that was the previous week. Okay. Yep. McClatchy. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was, I was, these these weeks, man, they run together sometimes, especially when we go, like this, I swear it feels like it's been 10 days or something since we recorded, and it's really, really hard to remember what happened, like, on the 11th day ago or the 12th well, day so- ago. So the deal is we record usually before the day before this comes out or whatever. And we had recorded on a Sunday and we didn't have, you know, some of these of the weeks come out on Sunday and it's the day you record by the time the show comes out, it's already a day old. And then we're a week out before we get to it. Um, they are now headed, uh, to the FBCI Invitational, and that's in Asheville on October the 30th. So that will be their last of the fall season. Okay. Close it out strong. Let's roll. All right. Cross Country, the Sunbelt Conference Championships are this Saturday in Foley, Alabama. And also of note, Track and Field released their 2023 and 2024 indoor and outdoor schedule on Herd Zone and the Herd Zone app. There are several Huntington events that you can go to. Make sure that you check that out on the app or herdzone.com. Yep. Let's make it. Let's make a run at it, man. This Sunbelt uh, Cross Country Championships, we've got a legitimate shot to make some real noise here in this one. You know, we've got some all-timers going to be making a, one final go of it, you know, and, and how awesome would it I tell you what, if, if Abby somehow wins something, that's it. That's it. We didn't need a qualifier to, like, reach out to somebody to get her on the show. But if that happens, there's no more excuses for us. We just have to have it happen, period. And I don't know what the hell we're waiting on anyway. I mean, it is in season for her, so she is a little busy and has a job and is a student and all that kind of stuff. So I can see, you know, how it might not work in her favor. Who wouldn't make Who wouldn't make time for us? Me, well, that's true. We're big in Europe. Yeah. <laughs> we're like David, the David Hasselhoff of <laughs> herd fans. We're huge in Germany. all right so men's basketball picked up a commitment tall six foot ten power forward eric harding and also fans first game is pikeville 
on Saturday at 3 p.m. More about that in a minute when we talk about women's. Yep, I love it, man. Love it. The, the, that's a couple of herd commits and a couple of short days. It's not like two and two days, but it's a <laughs> two within a week. You know, yeah. so that's something you like to see. I, I, I like that these are often surprising to me. You know, because it's just not as uh, in your face as football recruiting and it's not covered as much. You know, mm -hmm. at least it's not on my social media feeds. So usually I don't even see like such and such got an offer, such and such this. It's just like, bam, committed. And I'm like, well, hell, that was a nice little surprise for the uh, you mm -hmm. know Wednesday afternoon uh, Twitter timeline. So let's talk about that real quick and let's dig into that real quick. So that's pretty cool. But you can tell that that it's amping up and um luckily here's the thing for me luckily we do not go to a school i don't go to marshall anymore but we're not affiliated with a school that this part into the football season they're already going bring on basketball season you know because there are a lot of schools that are like that if, if they're not six and oh or seven and oh they're like well basketball season's here thank god and we're not like that and i think that's part of the reason why a lot of this gets filtered out of my feed is because people are still so heavily engaged in football. Yep. Yeah. So, zoned right in on football. And some people that is all that they care about. You know, we look at attendance of football. It's only six home games a year. And if we get 23,000, we think that's on the lower end. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we have 7,000 in basketball and that's high on the high end. So, uh, some people, their focus is only about football. We do have, this used to be a basketball town. You know, we have a lot of history here in basketball. And basketball was the premier sport at Marshall. And uh, it is still there for a lot of people that, I mean, that's what they care about is the basketball recruiting. That's what they care about is the basketball discussion. They go to every basketball game. And they enjoy football too, but their passion is basketball. And uh, I think having Coach Dan Tony come here, you know, as someone that they've been watching since he was here as a player, you know, we've got fans that still have their seats from way back when he was there at a drastically different uh, location at the Fieldhouse. And now seeing this recruiting stuff, and it's, I know, the age of Twitter, X, Facebook, that sort of thing where they can get on there. There are a lot of passionate people that discuss this and I have to find their stuff to kind of filter this out and everything. Cause like you said, unless you're subscribed to something that just gives you all this stuff, you get two to three recruits a year and that's it. You know, it's just so hyper-focused. Whereas football, you bring in a class 27, you know, you've got three here and that can drastically transform a roster. And we're looking at six foot seven guard now, six foot ten forward, some good size to bring in. Yeah, sure is. You know, you don't know how that's going to look a couple of years from now, right? Yeah. Because the portal doesn't go away, so you right. don't know. You just you can so easily flip a basketball team with a handful of players, Three. and you yeah. just, you just can't really do that with football because there's so many moving parts and just so many players on the field at one given time. But you can you can flip a basketball team's success with you know two or three additions, yeah. and uh, but what I was getting at is like even the larger recruiting sites. You know, people think of rivals and twenty four seven or on three. Yeah. Even they don't put out basketball. Maybe they do, but it just doesn't make it to my timeline because it's our a, followers are just so 
always bought in on football until, you know, oftentimes games are going on in basketball yeah. before people start to move away from their football fandom that they start to cheer on basketball too and you start to see more of it. But look, let's talk let me talk about one more thing before we move on unless you've got something else. You talked about Dan Tony being here. Well, you know, younger fans don't really remember that. But you've got three former players on the staff. You've got Corny Jackson, which is a Mac era guy that a lot of people are going to remember, guys mm-hmm. our age. And then now you've got Adam Williams, who's on staff as well. It's just an even newer era of herd fans. So there's a coach on staff that covers a lot, like literal decades, yeah. like 40 years, 50 years, maybe worth of worth of worth of herd basketball that uh, people can rally around. So they've done an excellent job of, of assembling, you know, this uh, staff in that capacity. Right. So it's just really, it's really cool. I'm really excited about men's basketball. It sucks that, you know, uh, Taylor decided to leave and it sucks that Han Logden decided to leave, but I'm really excited about what this coaching staff is doing to, you know, um, make this 2023-24 herd basketball team a a new team, but its own identity. So you're not like, well, you know, now what do we do? Taylor's gone. Now, now what do we do? Han Logden's gone. Well, now what do we do? Kenzie's gone. Three huge pieces that are gone. Huge. Especially Tavion Kenzie, an all-timer. Maybe the greatest, you know, probably the greatest. He and Elmore, probably the two greatest players in, gosh, how many decades? You know, how many? You like my? Did you see those balloons? I, yeah, I thought I was having an acid trip. What the trip hell was that? It was, <laughs> it was wild because I don't do acid. So I hope that, if that shows up on the podcast, I don't know what the <laughs> hell that was, but I don't know why balloons, I didn't touch anything. My hands, that is weird. Anyway, was, probably was two this it? I bet this was close to our anniversary of switching over to uh, this format or something. But still, during a live broadcast, that seems weird. I wonder if it was because I was holding up two fingers or something. And let me try that real quick. Let me see if it does that again. What the heck? No, you just look stupid. That was so weird. (laughs) Anyway, Kenzie and Elmore, two of the greatest players in probably the past, what, 20 years? Mm -hmm. And uh, so you can't discount the fact that, that Kenzie is gone. I hope he... If he is able with you know him playing pro ball now, I hope he's able to come back to the cam a lot because guys are going to want to see him at games. Fans are going to want to see him at games. He was a, he's a beloved player. Yeah, and you know I know you 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 often you do this chapter of your life, but having guys like that close to your program means a lot. Think about how important it is to football folks seeing guys like Ralph Street back on staff and Shannon Morrison on staff. You know that's a big deal, and we need. I love seeing that I love seeing our players, our alums close to a program again, but basketball's coming, man. You better get, better get amped up. Uh, the women's fans first game is also Saturday and it's six 30 PM. So got a great opportunity for an entire, wait, I said Saturday. I mean, Sunday, the 29th got a great opportunity to go there and watch the men play short a little intermission and watch the women play with their brand new team, brand new offense, that sort of thing should be a really, really good opportunity to get your basketball fix. So if you're still in or you've made it back from Myrtle beach, go over to the cam. Uh, everything is free on fans first. Make sure you go over there and have a wonderful time celebrating the start of the basketball season. This is the official kickoff to both. I think you should go if you're able 
because you'll be able to get your eyes live on this women's basketball team for the first time. You'll really get to gauge your personal level of excitement. And I feel comfortable saying you can probably buy season tickets right there if you're going to go. And you're like, man, I really like what I see. I think this could be exciting. Let me secure a couple of seats here because it's really cheap. You know, what was like 40 bucks or something is is a season ticket, cheapest season tickets or something like that. Really, really cheap. And of course, they did this with soccer when they did the fans first games. There was always some special giveaway. If you remember when we talked about fans first that they were only going to exclusively have at these fans first games. I haven't seen what that is, but I expect that trend to continue since that's something that the athletic department talked about. So just another reason to get out there and go. Free admission, and uh, you get to lay your eyes on the new look herd for the first time. I mean, it's it's what else are you going to do for free on a Sunday? You know, yeah. go to church. You can stay home, watch football if you want to, or you can go get two free games at the camp. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. We are now going over to football. We picked up a commitment wide receiver, Marcel Williams. Uh that is, I'm trying to think, did we have somebody a couple of weeks ago that committed, I think, as well? But anyway, uh, early in this uh, offseason, I guess you would say, way before signing day, the first signing day, we pick up a commitment. Yep, South Florida guy. I think he's from Hollywood or Pompano Beach or something like that. Um, it's a, a consensus three-star prospect. And, of course, you can't put, you know, your, your entire um, – your entire opinion of a guy can't just be, you know, a star rating. But these are good indicators, you know, on the rise. Anytime you're a, you know, a South Florida guy that can play, we all know the the concentration of talent that's down in that area. So um, guys that you can pull from that area generally are pretty good performers. And, uh, you know, the, we'll have to see how this um, class breaks out, you know, because – I'm not a I'm not a super roster nerd all the time as far as how many scholarships are available and who's going to be this and how many are going to because you just never know who's going to hit the portal who's going to whatever and but remember you've got early signing period that's coming up in December so you're not that far away right around bowl season is when you're going to start seeing some commitments for the 24 class now they're verbal right now but you can start to see some letters of intent being signed in December. So interesting. It's always interesting. And, and I, I've learned through the Doc Holliday era and now the Charles Huff era, you cannot form your opinions of a recruiting class in any given year right at the deadline for signing day because you always have those guys that fall under the radar, those that do not sign, those guys that were maybe going to go somewhere else and then the, the – uh, the class filled up at that school, and now we are going to benefit from somebody who just waited too long to make their decision. You know, it doesn't mean they didn't want to come to Marshall. It just means that, you know, they their opportunity elsewhere maybe isn't there anymore. So you have to really let the, the whole process play its course. But the guys we have in the class right now, if, if you go, you know, look at it, you got to be pretty happy with with where it is. This early, it's still early in the in the. That's what I'm saying. Real early to me. Yeah. Um, women's soccer. They lost four to one at Georgia Southern on Thursday, and they bounced back here on Sunday. Shut out Coastal at home, one to nothing. 
both of the goals in those games were scored by Bailey Fisher. And really, like, she's got, I think, four of the last five or three of the last mm-hmm. four. Great, uh, I think, seven on the year so far leads the team. Uh, they finished the regular season Thursday at Louisiana, and that is going on 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So last regular season game here already. Well, yeah, quick season. Dang, it seems like a quick season anyway. But uh, it was it was good. It was a really strong start. Injuries got to them in the middle part of the season and have <clears throat> throughout the end part of this season too. And you, you've seen the herd be able to hang tough in a bunch of games and then late in several contests. It was just like, man, what happened? You know, there was like five goals scored and, you know, when it was one to nothing or something. And I, I give them a lot of credit for fighting, continuing to fight in, in the face of, um, you know, di- really um, dismantling type injuries, you know, big mm-hmm. key players on this herd roster that were doing big things for the herd and, and were big contributors, contributors to the success of this overall team went down, you know, and they still fought and still put going out there and playing gutsy soccer. <coughs> so, you know, getting a win over coastal, that also feels good for some reason. Just, I don't really, I don't really dislike Coastal. I don't really like Coastal. You know, I'm kind of indifferent towards them personally, but still, that one felt that just felt good. And maybe that's bleed over from the men from last year. You know, when they beat us down in Conway and they shouldn't have, and so maybe that's what I'm just thinking. Well, it, this feels it was good. A, it was a tie, but well, a tie, yeah, but they, they shouldn't have. Yeah, been, they shouldn't have done that. And yeah. we were able to get them back this year at mm-hmm. the vet, and maybe this is just a kind of off the coattails of that good feeling that it feels good to go ahead and get this season sweep for the herd over coastal. All right. So men's soccer is where we finish up and they lost at West Virginia five to two on Wednesday in a top five matchup. And then they were shut out at home by Kentucky two to nothing on Sunday. Rough. The wheel, the wheels fell off these last two games. Uh, they travel to Old Dominion on Friday, and then next Tuesday they'll be at South Carolina. Yeah, got to win them. You got to win the both both of those matches, and maybe hope for a little bit of help because now I think I saw somewhere that, uh, one of the accounts that follows soccer a little closer than we do. I mean, at least as far as like the standings and all that kind of stuff. I think I saw them say that Marshall now doesn't control its own destiny in the conference tournament. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not true, but nonetheless, you got to get back to the winning ways and, and close out the season two and O put yourself in the best position to get the best seeding possible. But I want to talk about that game up in Morgantown. Told you that could be a tough one. And, and it proved to be, I saw some people I watched, I was able to watch a little bit of it. And I noticed that Marshall was slipping and sliding all over the field. And I'd heard, I don't I'm not putting anything out there. I'm not saying this is what happened, but I had heard some people say that they, soaked the field to a degree so that it was a, a non, not necessarily an ideal playing condition. I don't know if they did or not, and I'm not making an excuse. But Marshall got a five goals put on them, and they were sliding around a little bit, and I was thinking, huh, do they need to put some longer cleats on? Is that the problem? But it's just something I wouldn't have thought of. You know, Maybe they didn't do it. I, it's I, a, I, I, it's I'm a, absolutely not trying to take anything away from West Virginia. I'm just saying it, that's wild to me. It's a grass field, and yeah. we play on turf, and that's going to be a difference. I'm sure that they probably have different cleats for different surfaces, you know. Yes. I, yeah, but um, 
you know, two, it, it, when someone goes to a Cincinnati Reds game for the first time, that's the closest MLB team. You go up there and I've had people go with me and they're like, what are they watering the field for? You know, and you know, the drainage is put into things like that. So when you do water it, it's not like a high school field where it's going to be a swamp. Mm -hmm. What I saw on the slipping and sliding, yes, they were doing it, but I saw that WVU was also sliding a little bit more than anything. I saw a couple of lackadaisical passes and an aggressive defense by Mm -hmm. WVU intercept those and take them down and score. And it seems like, Almost like if you've ever played poker, when you go on tilt, Marshall went on tilt. There were three goals scored against us in under two minutes. And a couple of them were on those passes of just kind of nonchalant, you know, uh, kick it over to a person when they weren't looking. And uh, their all-world guy that uh, I think he got three three of the five goals. I can't remember his name. Uh, Madeira or something like that went down and scored on a couple of those. He had two of the goals there within two minutes. It it was just a non-Marshall-esque performance. Yeah. So I don't know. I did notice the sliding. I did see someone say that they had wetted the field down before the game, but that is also still decently common that you would, you know, wet it down. I I think that that would have been something that was a major media talking point if it would have been It would have been. More. Of course. Yeah. That's why I'm not saying I'm accusing them of anything. I'm just right. saying I saw that and I thought, well, I wouldn't have thought to do that, you know, but whatever. Uh, anyway, you want to talk about it. Marshall got handled in that game. And that hurts me to say because I don't like to praise the Mountaineers for anything, but they took it to our guys. Five to two is convincing. You know, if it would have been three to two, you'd be like, all right, well, we let that one slip away. But five to two, there was no question. And we scored first, you know, so you you had the advantage. And then they really went on a five to one stretch. So that was yeah. it was a dominant performance by them. So credit to them. They did what they had to do, you know. And just to follow that up, you needed that bounce back win against Kentucky at home at the vet where you are – you know, accustomed to playing, you know, every bump in the turf, you know, so to speak. And to not be able to do that. uh, I hope this is a galvanizing stretch for this herd men's soccer team. I hope this is one of those things where he goes, you know what? Maybe we were just uh, buying into, well, we're never out of a game or out of a match, right? Because we're just that good. Well, you're getting down to the nitty gritty. You might be just that good, but you can be out of a match. And we were out of a match, two of them. Here's your explanation on the standings for anyone where you were talking about, you know, us controlling our own destiny. Uh, The way it works in soccer is you get three points for a win, one win or one point for a draw. Marshall in conference is now five and two. So they have 15 points. UCF is five, one and one. So they have 16 points. Mm. So they are now ahead of us because we lost these two games. West Virginia is also right there with us. They have four uh, wins, giving them 12 points there, but they have three draws. So that makes it 15 there. Plus a tiebreaker. They have the tiebreaker over us, even though we have five wins they have four wins they're ahead of us so uh we are now in third place if it were to end today so it's going to be however it ends up over the last uh couple of games but these next two we really need to bring home three and three 
put us up to 21 points. Yeah, Marshall's got to go undefeated. You're going to need a little bit of help. And remember, West Virginia and UCF have already played. They played to a draw. So you're not going to get any help with them playing one another. Mm-hmm. So they're going to need a loss by one of those two or both of those in one of their final two. And Marshall's going to have to go 2-0 and in order to leapfrog in front of somebody. So it's it's not ideal for the herd, you know. You just got to take care of business. You got one more opportunity at the vet, I believe, and then you said on the road for one more. So we'll have tickets to the final match at the vet, and you know we'll just have to take the, care of our these next these next two games are both away. Oh crap! Uh, was the, Kentucky was the last one at home. No, no, they've got another one. I'm just saying oh. these next these oh, next okay. two games are away. They're they're at Old Dominion and on Friday, and then at. Uh, 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 South Carolina on Tuesday. So these next more. two, uh, fairly certain there's one more game. I don't know when that is in November. I don't have the full schedule up. I'm looking at the Sun Belt schedule right now of what's coming up. So UCF is playing uh, away at Georgia State, and that is on Friday as well. And West Virginia and Kentucky are playing in Lexington at 6 p.m. on Friday. Well, you're going to be a big UK fan in, in that one. You know, You know they can – you know they can sneak up and beat you, so uh, we need them to do that to the Mountaineers in Lexington. Need a little help. I hate that we're saying we need some help, but you know that's what happens. We let, had a bad week, and now we need a little help. Is that you it? know, I'm I'm sitting here looking. Let me look real quick. I think that that may have been our final game. Was that Kentucky game? Final home game. Take me just one second here. Well, I'm trying. Oh, there we go. Uh. I thought we had one more game, but we, we do we do not. Oh, that wow, was our that was, fi- that was our final home game. No, yep. no, South Carolina says it's at Hoops Family Field, dude. You're struggling. it's at home. Yes, you're struggling today. We're both struggling. Damn, I've got I balloons am. flying off during the during the broadcast. I don't even know what the hell that was. <laughs> All right, well, I wrote down two different things. I wrote there. down host and I meant that they were hosting. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I just, I misread that one, but I think that I wrote down at South Carolina on Tuesday. I just wrote the wrong thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's a Halloween affair for the herd. Um, seven fifteen, which kind of sucks. Cause if they're, are they doing trick or treat on Halloween this year? Do you know? Yep. yep. So that's going to go right on right during trick or treat. So that's, that'll probably just be a take bummer. Your kid. Take your kids over there. I'll be over there to give them some Snickers. Yeah. Yeah. They ought to do trick-or-treat at the game. But we'll have tickets for that one. And uh, this will be your last opportunity to see some great ones at with the herd at home. Unless we can get a little lucky and, you know, maybe make some noise and get play something at, at home in the postseason. But is that and a little news. We're also now officially going to hire someone as an intern to fact check. to to, uh, <laughs> to go through and make my preparation notes for me so I can – just read the monitor like Ron Burgundy. I, I screwed it. that up last week. People are like, these guys are really getting lazy with their broadcast. No, not really. It's just a lot to cover and mistakes happen. So if you don't like it, I implore you to start your own podcast and try to get everything <laughs> right every day. It is incredibly hard. And that's yeah, why get, we laugh it off and just roll with it. I get stuff wrong every show. Every show. Yeah, every right. show. So is that it? Is that all they're around the herd? All right. Well, that's we've it. got a... We've got a big uh, football game that we've got to recap because the football season has not stopped despite what has happened the last, well, in the in the last month. Let's put it that way. There's a lot of positive and a lot of not so positive that's happened in the last month. But look, James Madison came to town on Thursday night for the midweek. 
Uh, Just over 22,000 fans were reported. I'm going to say that's a pretty solid turnout. I would have liked to have seen that bump up another, you know, couple thousand fans. Would have been great. But for a Thursday night affair, that's not bad. James Madison gets the 20-9 victory. The herd drops now to 4-3 overall in the season, 1-2 in conference. And I want to say this from the very beginning. I want you guys that are listening to this episode, if you've stayed with us this long, to listen to the recap, or if you skipped directly to the recap. Whatever you want to do is fine with me. But I'm going to ask you, please, stick around and listen to the entirety of the grades. um, Because there are some things that have occurred to me, or, or not really occurred to me, but after we've had time to digest and breathe and be away from uh, social media for a couple of days, football basically for a couple of days. Some things have just uh, crept into my mind, and I want to share those. But you mentioned this as our number one thing. The most important thing that happened in that game was not a 20-9 to loss. It was J.J. Roberts getting injured, and we know that he is okay. So we yep. covered that already. I just wanted to mention that, bring it up again, because he is ever-present in our minds and ever-present in the minds of herd fans. We love him, and we hope he gets back to normal really really soon. So let's get into the game. Russ, indicators, uh, if, if, if you're just looking at the stat lines on the indicators, you're going to go, wow, this is probably a really dominating game for James Madison. And I think it was dominating to a degree, but it just didn't show up on the scoreboard. And I think that's a testament to this herd defense. Total yards, James Madison, 405. The herd, just 169 total offensive yards. Wow. Time of possession, 33-49 for the Dukes, 26-11 for the herd, Edge, James Madison. First downs, also really convincing. 19 for James Madison. Just 10 for the Herd. Third down conversions, James Madison edges this one out. They go 5 of 14, which isn't great, but Marshall went 5 of 16. Penalty yards, also uh, pretty close. Barely edged out. This is kind of like a 50-50 ball, depending on which one you want to count. Four penalties for 20 yards for the Dukes, three for 27 for the Herd. So overall penalties, the Herd gets the edge. Penalty yards, the Dukes get the edge. And then turnovers, two for Marshall, just one for James Madison, giving it a clean sweep to the Dukes and the indicators in this game. Quick bullet points for me. The Herd went down just three to nothing at halftime. If you would have said that was what was going to play out, I don't think anybody in either fan base would have believed you because we thought we were in for a pretty high-scoring affair, and we just didn't see it. We saw a big defensive uh, battle, for the, especially the first half. The offense, though, in this one for the Herd scored zero points. All nine points for Marshall came by way of either defense or special teams. The defense, though, they did play overall great. They fought tooth and nail for as long as they could, and had they been able to get some semblance of offensive support by points earlier in the game— I think uh, this would have changed what they were able to do. But they just were on the field too much, man. And, and it got to the point to where they just they just couldn't keep pay- – stuff just started working late in the game for James Madison. I don't fault them at all. They, we got the effort that we had been wanting to see all year from this herd defense. And the special teams played absolutely phenomenally. Absolutely phenomenally. So give me some uh, quick reaction – before I get into players and general stats, because I want to get to our grades. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's going to take up a fair amount of time. But how about some just initial reaction? It was all about field position, and it was all about that defensive line that we knew was going to be tough to go up against. And that was the difference maker. 
I got real quick. I just want to run through these uh, things. First quarter, we started on the one, the one, and the one. Mm-hmm. First quarter, we didn't have a possession where we were not starting on our one-yard line. Quarter two, we had uh, kickoff go into the end zone after that field goal, so we started on the 25, and then we started on the 6 and the 11. Up until the halftime, we had one possession that started on the 25-yard line. Everything else was inside our 11. Overall, our average starting position was uh, 16-yard line. Eight of our 13 possessions started at that 11 or closer mark. It is hard to put drives together, especially when you're on the one-yard line. JMU saw that, too. Starting out the third quarter, they were on the one-yard line. Safety. Mm -hmm. Their second time, they ended up getting the pass interference in the 53-yard pass, so they got some room to to maneuver. But still, when you start on your one-yard line, there's not much you can do except for running it right up the middle or a QB sneak of just trying to get a couple of yards just so you're not going to get a safety when you hand it off. So field position and the defensive line making that field position even tougher won this game. Yep. It was about, it was, that's why it's really surprising that the herd went, was only down three to nothing at halftime. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that really speaks to how well this defense played with James Madison being on a massively short field for the entire first half and, and the herd being behind the eight ball on the one, (laughs) three straight possessions to start the game. Hey, JMU started in Marshall's territory four out of their 12 possessions. And that's when you start on your one and you have to punt, you know, it puts you right around there. Uh, Three of their uh, six in the second half, they started in Marshall's territory. So the defense only giving up 20. And how often have we said, you know, if we can score 21 points, it's, you know, with our defense, this should be a, uh, a win, you know. This is one of those games where that would have happened. The last couple or last three before this, you know, we had given up in the 40s, and that was uncharacteristic of this defense. But generally, if you can score 21, you can win with Marshall's defense, and this would have been one of those games. Yeah. So let's, I want to go right in. Like I said, let's talk about our guys and what we did and, and move on because there's a lot of stuff that I want to, I just think grades and and revisiting keys are going to take a little bit of extra time. Mm -hmm. Cam Fancher goes 17 of 30 in this game for 173 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. He had 12 carries for just two yards, but he was sacked eight times, accounting for 60 lost rushing yards. Uh, Ethan Payne had 20 carries for 70 yards, averaged 3.1 yards per carry. Jaden Harrison had four catches, led the herd, 40 yards, led the herd, and a long of 16 DeMarcus Harris just had one catch, but it went for 36 yards. Nice chunk play. Cade Conley had two for 36 with a long of 24. Another nice chunk play. Again, I mentioned the Herd just had 169 total yards of offense, scored no points. But but the big thing was Rasheen Ali didn't play. We mm-hmm. didn't know that until pregame. We were doing Thundercast Live, and right before we hit you know, stream, we learned that Marshall could be without somewhere between five and seven starters in this game. Mm-hmm. And – when you take that into account, 20 to nine doesn't seem that bad. And it really no. amplifies how this defense played out of its mind for probably about 40 minutes worth of this game before they started to see some, see James Madison see success against them. Um, three consecutive drives you mentioned to start the game began at the one-yard line, which meant they lived in a long field all day. Really, your only opportunity to flip the field was coming out of halftime. 
because you're not going to change that trajectory unless you push a long drive together. And Marshall was able to get a 46-yard drive at one point, but it ended in a punt. So they were able to, you know, kind of get some field position going, but it was later in the half. And again, eight sacks allowed. James Madison's defensive line as advertised. That's mm -hmm. what you can say. Defensively, Deonte Hill leads the way for the herd. Ten total tackles, five solo, and two pass breakups to go along with it. Eli Neal, who we speculated may not play because he left and was in street clothes against Georgia State, he was out there. Eight total tackles, second on the team. One um, of those was solo, and he had a half a tackle for loss. And J.J. Roberts, despite being injured later in the game, was still tied for the third uh, team lead with tackles. He and Kashawn uh, Brown both had seven total. JJ's were all assisted tackles. Kashawn Brown had two of his that went solo. Impact plays. The herd just had one combined sack by Owen Porter and Elijah Austin. They had the beautiful interception by Micah Abraham that was on the one yard line, mm -hmm. and then a safety by Tyquez Legs. The downside is they allowed 405 yards, uh, but only gave up 20 points. So there's that, it, that's a lot. I mean, I'm telling you, man, that you might not like it, but that is the type of effort that we had been hoping to see by this herd defense all season long. They played as, as good as they could for as long as they could, you know, because they just kept getting put back out there. Three and out for Marshall, two-yard pl or two-play turnover drive, and they were back out there. And that's why things started working late in the game. Special mm -hmm. teams-wise, John McConnell had another great game eight total punts first of all 15 combined punts in this game right um jmu's punters getting the shine because he landed all seven of his punts went inside the 20 but the caveat to that is mcconnell couldn't put as many in the 20 because all of jmu's guys punts went inside the 20 and we just weren't moving the ball but mcconnell had eight punts 391 total yards for a 48.9 yard average and uncorked a 74 yard career long punt for the herd Two of his did land inside the 20, and he had two punts of 50-plus yards. Jaden Harrison, three total kick returns for 153 yards, including a 94-yard kick return for touchdown in the fourth quarter to get Marshall right back in the game after James Madison had just scored. It was an amazing performance by defense and special teams considering. All right, um, So let's revisit some keys to the game, Russ. What was your number one? I do not remember. I do not. I didn't have them written down. Okay. So I I know on Thundercast Live I talked about the uh, field position, uh, and that was not what we had talked about in our previous. But I thought field position was going to be big. I can't remember if that was one of my points or not, but it turned out to be true. But yeah, you just go just, ahead with yours. Well, I'll breeze through mine then. My number one key to victory was that Marshall had to be disciplined because we saw penalties kill the herd, and they had to play sound defense. And by golly, that's a huge green check because we saw it. Only three penalties all day long and great defense from a team standpoint. We saw far fewer chunk plays in this one. Yes, they had a big long run that set up a score. Yes, they had a long to, uh, pass that set up a score. But there was overall far fewer chunk plays allowed by this herd defense, and you see that their direct correlation to success, right, from on the scoreboard. And then we saw better team tackling. There wasn't a lot of short pass, long run after the catch type stuff. So it was a lot of swarming defense today or on uh, Thursday is what we needed to see, big green check mark. Number two, I said that the wide receivers and tight ends needed to maximize their opportunities. All right, here's the check. They, do, they did do that. Here's the problem with that. They just didn't have very many opportunities to maximize. 
right? So the ones they got, they did. Several chunk plays, nice downfield pass to Conley, nice downfield pass to Harris, and uh, Jaden Harrison had one. Even the six-yard reception that Talit Keaton had was a circus catch. So that's an opportunity maximized because that's one that you could just easily have dropped or have gotten away from you because of the way he had to contort to catch the ball. If they'd have had more opportunities, if Cam would have had more time, we might have had more maximization of those opportunities. Number three was move the chains. Uh, I said that Ali and Cam and Ethan Payne were going to have to get the hard yards. Did not happen. Marshall had only 10 first downs in the entire game. Three of those came on one drive, and two of those came on back-to-back plays, a 14-yard and a 16-yard run by Ethan Payne out of the shadow of our own end zone. And then two more came on another drive. Both of those, by the way, both those drives ended in punts. So five of your ten came on two drives. The herd did not move the chains at all effectively. And number four, I said the herd had to force at least two turnovers and or B plus two in turnover margin. Didn't happen. We forced one, and we were minus one in turnover margin. The herd had two, and JMU had one. So mixed bag for the herd. The defensive stuff uh, was was really what offset this score in a positive way, but offensively there was just not enough support there, you know, to to make this a winnable game for the herd. Let's move right into grades. What do you got for Cam in this one? Let me get back over to them. There they are. All right, for Cam, I had a C minus, and I know there's going to be a bunch of people online saying what. He's crazy. Someone decided they wanted to uh, call us or me out for constantly taking up for him. I just see what I see. And there wasn't a whole lot that he could do when it snapped and the safety blitz is on you as soon as you get the football. Mm-hmm. You can't dance around even if you've got a healthy two ankles. Um, we just did not have much that we could do. I've got a C minus and the interception on the underthrow is the big major ding. That was our one chance to go down and score. And I took off a lot of points for that. I thought he played an amazingly gutsy game, uh, was running for his life uh, amongst this uh, pass rush, even on uh, balls that should not have even been thrown. He got away on that scramble for the 36 yarder to, to Harris and threw a dime while he was on the run after getting out of the pocket, could have easily just been sacked to start with, could have easily thrown it away and said, let's avoid everything. He threw an absolute dime and hit Harris in stride for 36 yards, and as soon as he released it, he got hit by two people and crushed into the ground. I got a C-. minus. I don't put him holding the ball on solely his decisions, there was nobody open. So what happens if you throw down the field when they said, just throw the ball, just throw the ball. Okay. We had double coverage on a guy. Do you want to get it picked off? Then what, what's your uh, comment going to be? Well, he shouldn't have thrown the ball. Mm -hmm. You can't have it both ways. I got him for a C minus. It would have been higher if he didn't have that interception, obviously, but it was a pretty key crucial interception that he threw and the ball was just underthrown by a few yards when he could have thrown it over top and it had been a touchdown. 
I agree. Uh, I have it slightly better. I gave him a C plus because, and most of it is because of the gutsy performance of playing yeah. on two dinged up ankles. Yeah. And I was really concerned that he might not be able to go back in the game. You know, when, when the announcer said uh, now he's favoring the other ankle, I thought, man, this kid is, is absolutely taking a beating over the last month. And this is a kind of a worst case scenario because now he's even less mobile than, he normally would be to try to not just evade a sack, but protect himself you yeah. know, from taking a, a harder hit. Uh, the interception on the underthrown ball is killing me. It, it's killing yeah. me, man. I mean, yeah. I know you, your, your feet, are, your ankles are hurt. It, it might affect your planting and everything, but I know he's got enough arm strength to, to rip the ball. You know, so I said this before, if that goes to the back corner of the end zone in that area, either Either I think that was to Pierce. Either that it falls in Pierce. Pierce's either that falls falls in Pierce's breadbasket or it's out of bounds, right? Yeah. And and Mason didn't do him any favors by kind of standing there and watching that ball get intercepted. I mean, several folks on the social media were like, "Dude, just go hit the guy and take the offensive pass <laughs> interference call and keep possession of the ball." And I get that, I get it, but it almost looked like he didn't see it where it was. You know what I mean? It, it, the, from the replays and everything, it looked like he wasn't looking. He was looking more at the player uh, that was making the interception than where the ball was. Is what it looked like to me. Yeah, I mean, however it was on TV, it looked like he just watched that happen. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know yeah. what what he's. I'm not in his helmet. I don't know what he sees. But it was a it was a gutsy performance. And one thing I got to tell you, you know, they said at one point when Cam went down, he had to come off the, he was coming off the field. They said, well, they took the uh, the yellow vest off of McMahon. He's going to warm up. And I thought, okay, maybe we'll see somebody else going in. Is he hurt really bad? Ultimately, he didn't. And you heard Huff in the post game say he wouldn't let us take him out. And people again are just not hearing what is being said it's not he doesn't get to trump a team doctor if the team doctor says you're not going in you don't go in but if they go and they say he can play and they go mm -hmm. hey do you want to are you good to go he goes yes well then that means he doesn't want to come out now does it mm -hmm. so that's what the scenario is i don't know why you know people are looking for a reason but any anybody who thinks they can go is going to want to go and keep playing yeah. Just a just an really an all time gutsy performance. I mean, he was in there in the face of a swarming pass rush, eight sacks. I don't care if you get eight sacks put on you, you're not going to have very much success offensively. You're just really not. And and when you compound that with your best player, who nobody's going to argue that Rasheen Ali is Marshall's best player on offense, is not in the game. That just compounds things. Huge so difference. It's not surprising that Marshall didn't have very much offensive success. I think it falls on, like at some point, you just want to see, you want to see him put something together and be able to get down the field and score some points, yeah. even field goal, and we just didn't see it, and that was frustrating. So, I got Cam as a C plus because a lot of it isn't his fault. Uh, really, the only thing is is the for the fourth, fifth, whatever game in a row, he just won't cut it loose for me. Just one time, cut it loose for me. Well, and that was uh, indicative of what we've been talking about with his major drawback right now is just that consistency, you know, and if you're consistently good, I mean, every quarterback would like to be that in the nation. I don't care if you're with Ohio State. I don't care if you're with a Pac-12 team or in one of the systems like Texas Tech used to have. Being consistent 100% of the time is unheard of, you know, and we are looking for a little more consistency out of him so we are eliminating some of these underthrows or overthrows uh or 
whatever for a, an interception. Um, but it just shows you those two plays that we just talked about happened back to back. He scrambled and avoided a, a sure sack, threw on the run, through the dime, 36-yarder, got us down into scoring position to the, I think, the 20, and took a huge double hit after releasing the ball, knowing he's going to get crushed, threw an absolute dime right on the money. And the very next play, he underthrew it by probably three to five yards. Mm-hmm. And it's just that consistency, you know? Yeah. It still went over 55% passing, so it wasn't a terrible performance. But think about that, man. Eight sacks, that's going to do a lot of damage to what you can – what the how the game's going to be called. So, yeah. speaking of that, what do, you, what do you got for this offense as a whole? They, offense they – they put, I'm sorry, they put up zero points. They are, again, without their best player, so that alters what you're doing. Only 169 yards gained and, again, eight sacks. I think we can all agree that the offense failed as far as they didn't put up any points. They had trouble moving the ball. They got 10 uh, first downs. They had 165, 169 uh, yards. But I am adding, instead of where Cam I was taking away, I'm adding to the grade for offense and giving them a D. And the reason is when you start on your one, your one, your one, 25, six, and 11, and that's your first half. And then second half, yeah, the third quarter was much better with 35, 43, 25, 36. Here's your fourth quarter, three, 10, and seven. Mm -hmm. Best of luck as an offense when you start there because – can it be done? Absolutely. Is it extremely hard to? Yes. Facing a top one defensive line in the nation and a pretty good front seven overall, it's damn near impossible to to have a good. So I'm going to add a full letter grade because what more can you do? You're limited on offense already without having Rasheen Ali. Mm-hmm. you're limited with a couple of wide receivers that weren't playing or at least one that wasn't playing. Uh, I think maybe, maybe a couple of them made it in on special teams uh, and, and everything into the, uh, just wasn't there for the rotation for, for on the field for offense, but we're pretty b- dinged up everywhere. Cade Conley comes back. He's been fighting injury. You know, Toby Payne is out. He was probably going to be the starter going into the season. Uh, offensive line, we've had to shuffle some people around. You've seen people come out of games. And to put up that sort of effort, we did not roll over and die. We didn't throw four ducks for interceptions. We didn't. We fought until the very end. There was a decent chance in the fourth quarter that we could have won this game. Mm-hmm. So I'm giving them a full letter grade because of the circumstances, not be- not because of the performance. Yeah, you, you can't tiptoe around not being able to score a point. Right. Yeah. Even even though James Madison's had the top rated rush defense and your best running back is out. That is a yeah. massive mismatch right there. I mean, it doesn't yeah. get any bigger than that, you know. And then you have just an overall swarming, just sweltering pass rush that is relentless all over you. So it, it just further hinders what you're able to do, but still at some point you think, all right. We've got to adjust enough to be able to go score a touchdown. We, in any game, you have to be able to go score 
a touchdown, right? A, a touchdown. Or at least a couple. If you can't score a touchdown, you've got to get down there and be able to score a couple of field goals just to help provide a little, you know, all right, we can move the ball. We can we can do this. And, and we didn't see that today, you know, and that's what's really frustrating. I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to uh, bow to the fact that it's hard to do that when you start on the one, one, and one because you've yeah. got to put together three massive drives. You've got to put together 75-yard drives just to get into field goal range. Right? Well, before you anything, you've one. got before anything you've got to play the let's not get a safety game. Right. You know, let's not do a pick six or a, a scoop and score on on such a short field. So I'm saying there were opportunities in the second half to where they could have done that, and we didn't. Mm-hmm. It was turnovers, right? So that's that's when points are at a premium for you. Uh, that can't be the time that you turn the ball over when you're in your mm-hmm. best position to you know try to get some points. So I'm going to give them um, I'm going to give them a C minus, but you know it. it I, I am also I I understand all of the. Uh, barriers that were that they were up against in this one, and then just the James Madison punter having a freaking career day just did not help anything, right? So, I, I've I've got him at a, a D, but I mean it it could have easily been an F because I mean all these are perspective grades on our own on our own scales and everything. Everybody's going to have different, but you know the job of the offense is to get first downs, get yards, and score, and they did not. So right. by all intents and purposes, that's a failing grade. But I'm I'm adding to mine and doing a D, so mine's lower than yours. All right. So what do you got for this uh, defense to this week? A and it would have been an A plus had there not been a couple of different situations where uh, there were some poor angles taken on tackles or attempted tackles. I noticed uh, some players in there not saying this was their first major time. I'd have to go back and look and see how many plays they'd been in, but I seem to remember a couple of freshmen that were playing significant minutes for the first time just because we've been dinged up and and everything um but not so much out of position not so much missing tackles but there were a couple of bad angles that allowed plays to get first downs Mm -hmm. no i'm with you if i've been caught if i'm going to call all year long to play disciplined sound defense and then we finally see that and i don't grade it accordingly then i'm just Mm -hmm. being a dick Right. Yeah. So this is an A performance without a doubt. Yeah. They fought for as long as they could fight. And like I said, things started working at the end of the game. But man, I don't know what more you can ask for those guys. If if any, any sort of early in the game offensive success would have happened, even an early field goal, if you go into that game tied in a halftime tie, anything, mm-hmm. then you know, you're likely just feeling different but those guys mm-hmm. were putting it all out there on the line you know they forced eight j or seven jmu punts in this game and then we talked about the tremendous field position that they had starting most of their drives or a lot of their drives they had a huge interception that thwarted a definite touchdown and they got a safety i mean when's the last time we got a safety who knows right off the top of their head i mean i remember one in 2014 against uab or something like that but i don't remember what? when the last one was 2019 well, there you go. Still, <laughs> they so, mentioned it during the game when I watched the rewatch. So they did what they were supposed to do. They stopped a really good offense of James Madison. And I'll tell you this: I got to give credit to McLeod because he went out for a couple of plays and he came back. And it, I don't know what the hell happened to that kid, but he was so much sharper when he came back in. 
So credit to him, but this defense gave me everything that I wanted to see, and I didn't even expect to get, you know, a safety. That that to me is cooler sometimes than like the scoop and score. I know a scoop and score is more points, but a safety is just one of those things that's like. Well, you get the ball back too. It's so. like hell yeah, you know what I mean. So I give him an A. I'm giving him an A. What do you got speaking, for special? Oh, speaking of McLeod, real quick, uh, that uh, 53 yard reception that he hit uh, to Brown, I think it was. Uh, that is when we had uh, hit him as he was throwing, and that was the thing to put him out of the game. So the backup comes in. We hold him to a field goal. When he came back in the game, we had him sacked for huge losses on back-to-back plays. He escaped both of them and hit passes that led to good yardage. And then on the third time, we had him in the red zone. He escaped that for a first down with uh, a rush, and that was the lone touchdown uh, on the ground. That they got was that uh, McLeod uh, keeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think next play or two plays later or something like that. Well, what do you got for special teams this week? A plus. There is no way to go anything lower than an A plus. You've got a heck of a performance by McConnell uh, from punting. You had a kickoff return for a touchdown. I mean, those things right there are going to put you way up high, but you didn't see penalties. Uh, if you did, they were inconsequential. We held them uh, pretty well on their kickoff returns and everything. We uh, put it out of the end zone a lot when we were kicking off. Just all around an amazing performance, and that seemed to come off of last week's worst performance of the year for special teams uh, with penalties and things like that. And you saw Huff in the post game say, you know, we didn't do anything differently. Not, we didn't call anything differently than the way we had called it against Georgia State. Yeah. And, and folks were, and I was included, just railed on special teams, you know, saying like, well, you, you did things you absolutely couldn't do. And then they come out and do the same things this week and we're going to praise them. And that yeah. just, you can't, the, the, the human element is just what you can't control, right? Right. He's talked about it several times already in pressers that I've listened to where he says, we're, everybody's trying to be individually great. And I want them to be individually good so that collectively we can be great. Just do your job and instead of trying to do more than your job, and we will, as a team, be great. And I think we saw that, right? And, and I've got to say this. John McConnell's going to get screwed out of being special teams player of the week because James Madison's punter landed all of his punts inside the 20. But who was more important to their team? I don't know, you know, because they they kept us pinned to where we were on a long field all day long, and McConnell pushed them back as far as he possibly could to keep them from getting set up on short field scores. Yeah, they were on a short field, but they could have easily – what if he shanks one or two of those and they start on, like, hour 30? You know what I mean? I, that's a tough call. Uh, but I would like to say this. I'm going to take a little bit of credit. I rarely do this, but you remember a couple episodes ago, I said it feels like something is about to happen with Jaden Harrison on these kickoffs. Oh, I, yeah. It's all, all it. year. I missed it by a week. I thought it might happen in the Georgia State game, and it happened in really a such a clutch time. Marshall was 20 to 3, and then all of a sudden, here goes Jaden Harrison immediately after that to put the herd right back in the game. What a clutch kickoff return for touchdown. I'm so happy that he got one, and I did see that uh, you know on the uh, 
somewhere that it was the first kick return for touchdown by Marshall since Jaden Harrison against FAU, which I also remember that one. So nothing short of an A-plus performance all around for that unit. What do you got for our coaches? This is the hardest thing for me to always grade, right? Because I'm not a coach and I don't, I'm not there at practice. You know, we, we don't go to practices. Um, we don't know what's said in the locker room unless ESPN shows it. And most of those I have to watch on a rewatch or something because I'm at the game. Um, I put a B and this is just by as arbitrary as I can think of. I mean, I can see what the players are doing. I can't see what the coaches are doing. But I put a B because we went into this game as an underdog in our own house. We went into this game as an underdog before Rasheen Ali was deemed not going to play. Everything had to have changed at that point. I don't know at what point in the week or the day that they knew that he was a no-go, but you have to imagine things would have been a much, much, much different scenario, even as far as game plan goes, right? Um, then you get to the game and you start on your one, your one, and your one. What do you do besides right. running up the middle? What do you do besides doing a QB sneak under center just to try to get a yard or two so you could not have a bad snap that ends in a touchdown for the, your opponent? Um, it's, it's just so much of the deck being stacked against you. I'm not sure what differently you could do. Um, Everyone in the stands around me was complaining that well, all they're doing is running the ball at the middle. It's the same play every time. That's what I kept hearing. It's the same play. It doesn't matter if the formations are totally different, but someone gets a handoff and goes up a hole in the middle instead of trying to take it to the outside. You hear in the stands, that's the same play. Well, no, it's not. Uh, but I didn't hear anybody when – Ethan Payne went for 14 and 16 on back-to-back and had in the second one, he hurdled the guy as part of his 16 yards, picked up 30 yards, running it right up the middle. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear anybody when Rockhead was doing that and getting yards saying, well, all we do is run it right up the middle. Hindsight has allowed people to say well, that was a bad call because it was not the result that you wanted. But you don't go into there and say, hey, let's run a run play for negative three yards. Let's let's run the negative three-yard run play. You don't do that, okay? You're going up against the best defensive line in the nation, statistically. And we're running what we can run. We did try to run around the end. Guess what? It was no gain or negative yards when we did that as well. So what in the hell do you want them to do? We tried to throw. We didn't have time to throw. If we did have time to throw, we had to hold it too long because we had double coverage on our guys. No one was getting separation, and then we were getting sacked. So you either complain that we didn't throw, you complain that we held it too long, you complain that we did throw, but it was to five yards and out. Well, that's all you could do because of the time that you had. Overall, man, I'm giving a B because, no, we didn't have a a great offensive performance, but I don't know that I can – fault too much about the actual calls as they were made on the field yep i'm i'm actually going to give them a b as well and and here's why because your coaching grade isn't only an offensive grade the defense played right. amazingly great amazing yeah. right and then you gotta you have to bump that up a little bit 
even if it's just a partial letter grade by going, all right, they were without five to seven starters, including the best player on offense, and we were still able to keep this game respectable. Mm-hmm. And this is far more than res- respectable. You know, we had talked about it coming in, like James Madison has close wins against good teams, right? A couple points here against Troy and, you know, one-point win here against Virginia who just went in and beat number 10 North Carolina at their house. So to 11, it, it might rub you the wrong way, but what if we are not even at full complement? What if just Rasheen Ali plays? What if, what if J.C. Anderson plays and has significant snaps on defense? you know, to augment what we were able to do on defense? What if just a couple of those guys are in the lineup? What if on a just two of those punts that the guy did, that they bounced differently and went in the end zone and we start on our 20 instead True. of on our one? Right. So there, there's, I know I say this to you all the time. You can't just act like these things didn't happen because they did. But I'm mm-hmm. just saying you were facing a top 25 team, which, by the way, James Madison landed at number 25 this week. They were a top 25 team anyway. We knew they were good. And then you, you come in without several of your big contributors on offense and defense. I don't know at what point they knew these guys were a no-go, but it doesn't matter. They, they were trying to do the best that they could do. It was just frustrating as a fan because you were offensively you were never able to get anything going. You got a couple of drives that lasted, you know, more than four plays, and they resulted in punts. But defensively, played lights out. So you have an A-plus performance. You have a C-minus or a D, however you grade it from offense. That puts you right there in that C-plus kind of range. And then when you take into account everybody that was missing, you're right there at that B range. So I'm, I am 100% okay with giving him the credit that they deserve for the outcome in this one. I mean, 20 to 9, you don't want to see. But how? let me say how the game was played on the field. You know, yeah. they, they just kept battling. They kept battling. So you got to give them props to a certain degree. There was just too much stacked against them in this game. It could have been far worse. What if Mike Abraham doesn't get that interception? You know, what if – what if a couple more big long chunk plays break loose that we've seen happen all year long? Dude, this one could have been a 31 to 9 game or something, you know, and it mm-hmm. wasn't. So credit to them where credit is due. What do you got for the fans? C minus, and uh, the majority of that is the hospitality that fans as a whole seem to be showing to the James Madison fans that they came. Um, there was uh, a lot of people online on social media from James Madison that we're talking about how well they were treated and what they thought of Huntington and the fan base and the Marshall program sets so a testament to our fans. I know firsthand, uh, you know, we talk about always trying to show herd hospitality over at the Thundercast tailgates. Uh, but I know that those guys from JMU sound off and some of their other uh, JMU donors and people that were at our tailgate came by and praised us for putting out the video that we did not just for them, but for everybody that was a visiting fan on where to go. Uh, they said they watched it. They loved it. They thought it was awesome. They wanted JMU sound off to do one to invite people to Harrisonburg and let them know where to go. They sought us out uh, to come over to our tailgate and uh, we showed them hospitality and they could not have been more complimentary. So that is the majority of it. The negative stuff of the grade almost outweighs all of that because of booing. Uh, because of the social media meltdowns and things of the nature. And uh, I'm not like that, man. I I mean, I talk about it all the time, but the outcome of a sporting event is just low on the totem pole for me. I mean, I thought the last two soccer games 
it sucked. You know, I thought I really thought we were going to go undefeated and have this magical season and everything. But guess what? I've got to work. This isn't what I do for a living. Yeah. You Marshall know, wins don't pay the I've, mortgage. You know? I've got to be a dad. You know, I've got stuff going on that it just seems to be like, oh, well, this is not the worst thing that's ever happened to me in the history of things. You know, uh, I want to win every single game. You know, I'm competitive in everything you know, but I'm never going to boo an athlete. And that's one, or a, um, um, a college athlete, you know, uh, I, I just don't get it. The booing at the half, I actually wrote this down in my bullet points and everything. The book, the booing at the half was stupid and uncalled for never boo the players People online have said, well, we were booing the play calling or the decision to not uh, try to move the ball down the field uh, at the half when we had a minute 57 seconds left. Well, we did. We did try. And we were. We got a first down. And once we got the first down, we went into tempo to let's start doing it. Then we got a sack and Cam got hurt. So you've got a hurt quarterback with only a minute left, I think, at that point. And you just got a big sack and everything. They had timeouts. Okay. So you throw it down, you give it back to them, let them go down and score. You throw a pick six, a scoop and a score, whatever it is, they get on the board. What would you have thought of the decision for us to try to go for it, to be down an additional three to seven points? Yeah. Probably well, wouldn't have, have thought that was too good. You'd have thought of whatever it was that made you right. Yeah. And so we got the ball on the eleven. Their defense have been shutting us down for everything except for basically two of those uh, big plays by pain, the back-to-back runs and everything. Zero plays at that point were in our uh, territory. Everything was in JMU's territory. We were not moving the ball. It was absolutely the right call to not try to go down there and score after we got sacked. We were moving it. We're like, all right, let's see. Let's keep trying to do it. Let's get down for a field goal. When it was obvious that it wasn't going to work and you're you're going to sit back there and, and put them on an even shorter field and let them get a chip shot or a, a shot at the end zone, no. So, one, it was stupid if you're booing the player and it's stupid if you're booing the play call. But later in the game, when Cam had to take a sack, he had to basically slide because there's nothing he could do. He risked turning it over, even trying to throw it out of bounds. He wasn't for sure that he was out of the tackle box, and he probably wasn't at that time. The smart play was for him when two guys were there and he had nowhere to go, was just to slide down on his butt and take the sack. And people booed then. So tell me that was about the play calling. It wasn't. People were booing Cam. They were booing a player of Marshall who was giving one of the gutsiest performances we've seen from a quarterback out there. I'm not saying it was Byron being carried down on a broken leg, but he was going up against a hellacious pass defense on a bad ankle and doing the best that he could. And he was getting booed. So I can't ever get behind that. And I'm going to call it out every time. Yeah. It's C minus for me too, because there was, this could have been such a great opportunity for herd fans to, uh, put together a a really nice a plus grade you know the hospitality was unbelievable i mean you for two days after the game you i kept seeing 
just random JMU fans talking about the trip to Huntington was awesome and the herd fans are some of the nicest people I have ever come across. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm glad that that makes me feel good because that means those things are still holding true. It would have only been better if James Madison had brought more fans so more f- people could have experienced that. Now, two years from now, maybe they will because those people are going, Man, you've, got, you've got to go to Huntington. They were amazing. You know, those fans are great. And, but booing ain't cool. And if you're a fan that thinks booing the players is cool, you're wrong. And you can tell me, well, I was booing the coaches. Okay, great. Let me tell you how that was perceived. Because you saw one of the most respected players on the herd roster, Owen Porter, at the post game say, "You're booing us. We're down three to nothing at halftime, and you're booing the quarterback." You know, and he kind of said, "If that's the way you want to be, then don't come back." I'm not sure that was the right thing to say, but the perception was that you were booing the players, not the coaches. So the players themselves said, "All right, well, you're booing us." You don't have the opportunity to go down there and go, no, 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 Owen, don't get it twisted. We were booing the coaches. You know, we love you guys. That's not how it was perceived by them. Don't boo. What? The only time you'll catch me booing at a, at a herd football game is when there is an egregious penalty that they go to review and then they still get wrong. Then I will boo referees or, or the, the, the missed call or whatever. But never a player. Dude, they're busting their asses for you. And coaches are trying everything they can do to get a win for you, right? And, and so booing, I'm just never going to be okay with. The, the legendary herd hospitality, I'm a 1,000% okay with because that was an excellent, excellent start to that game day. It could have gotten a lot better if if uh, some fan reaction just would have taken a breath first, you know, think before you hit post, you know, take a breath before you boo, that kind of thing. Uh, overall, though, what do you got for the Thursday night affair? Overall, I'm going with a D, and I know that sounds bad because we just talked about, you know, having a good tailgate. We talked about having good hospitality. We talked about a great defensive performance and stuff like that. But overall, the entire thing just kind of was soured by the booing. It was soured by having to be there and watch an athlete, a local kid, but a son of Marshall, no matter where he's from lay on the field for 30 minutes or something. And you're wondering, is this player going to walk again? Is he going to have uh, a good life? The The entire thing was just sombering and the entire thing was disappointing. Uh, again, it's not jumping off the ledge because I don't do that, but the whole thing just at the end just felt like, man, you know, and a lot of that was because of the JJ Roberts thing, which is bigger than football. It was just a, it was a rough night. I, I don't mind telling you I'm not I'm not somebody that ever tries to be more macho or whatever. I had a tear roll down my cheek as I'm sitting here because the the close family member or friend of the family behind me, uh, just imagining what they're going through, imagining the mother and father getting walked onto the field to go over there. You know, just all the emotions around it, thinking about me as a parent, my reaction and my feelings and everything. It was it was it was a scary situation and it dominated my thoughts all night and the next day. And, uh, so glad that he's okay, but that put such a damper on everything that then you've got the, the loss kind of tacked onto it. Whole thing was a D. Yeah. 
I think that it would have been more like a B minus or a B or something uh, if if we didn't have the JJ thing. But just overall, it was such a an emotional night. I, I'd say with with JJ laying on the field. Yeah, I'm not even taking that into account because you know that's just something that's so uh, profound that it it affects things in and of itself, right? But for me, this 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 was a after I've had a few days to think about it and digest and and look and 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 revisit and reflect, it, it's not as bad as I thought it was, you know. And I don't want to lose games. But I think this one was bad for me because that we had been that we had lost two games that we could have won. And then I thought, okay, this is a really good team. This is an undefeated team that we can we can beat and it just changes everything for us. Right. We're right back to like, yeah, we let those two slip away, but we just dethroned James Madison. They're not undefeated anymore. And, you know, the the narrative change that that has and and what that does positivity wise for people talking about the herd you know the herd just beat james madison again you know two years in a row so i think i let the emotion slide in a little bit the 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 initial knee-jerk reaction just slide in a little bit and and i don't know i'm not going to call it an overreaction but i think i just would have been better off to just let it marinate for a day you know um it, it just it was just such a big opportunity that we just couldn't it, you know and all these things line up Ali's out and eight sacks and Cam's dinged up with both ankles and we couldn't do anything offensively and it was just thing after thing after thing and I was like damn it man damn what the hell and it, at the end it just kind of overflowed and I didn't say anything that I regret or anything it was just like I probably had a, a worse reaction than I should have had. But I want to put something in perspective, and and somebody pointed this out on social media, and and I tweeted or quoted it by saying the yin and yang of sports, right? Because, uh, you know, Marshall was four and zero just a couple of weeks ago in football. They were undefeated in soccer just a couple of matches ago in soccer, and now Marshall's four and three in football. We've dropped two straight in soccer. That's the yin and yang of sports. We're recording, and it's October twenty third, right now. I don't know when folks are going to listen to it, but it's Monday, October twenty third. Exactly one month ago, September 23rd, Marshall beats Virginia Tech at home and beats UCF in a number one versus number three soccer match at the Vet. And we were saying, man, this is an all-time great weekend. 30 days later, one month later, uh, Marshall's on three straight losses in football, a two-match losing streak against WVU and UK in soccer. And that's the ups and downs, right? That's the ups and downs. And what that's done is it's humbled me a little bit, you know, because I was I – was, starting to edge uh, too far to one side, I think. And I'm reminded of a, of a saying by my, my, my good friend, Stephen Moffat. I know you know him. For folks that don't know him, he's, he's, a, he's a host of a Western Kentucky uh, podcast called Topper Talk. I really like Stephen. He's been a friend for a long, long time. He says all the time, you're never as good as your biggest win, and you're never as bad as your worst loss. So think about that. What's our worst loss? What is Marshall's worst loss? Again, undefeated top 25 James Madison team on the road in a shootout against uh, Nancy State or in a sloppy penalty-infested game against Georgia State that also the herd kind of let slip away. Which of those three to you is the worst? I would tend to think that it's probably the Georgia State game because we had a lot we could have controlled more. 
but are any of them truly that terrible? It's not a 56-point drubbing at the hands of Akron at home. Yeah. You remember? That was bad. So I'm, that's what I mean. I should have waited a day and just let it sink in and reflect it a little bit before I just got pissed. And I just, I just wanted to share that because now you have to ask yourself, how do you react as a fan? How do you react? Do you go, oh, I'm done. I'm done with this team. They can't win. This ain't it. This guy's not it. This coach this, that coach that, blah, 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 blah. Or do you go, okay, yeah, it ain't ideal. Four and three sucks. We were four and three, by the way, through seven games last year. Did you know? Yeah. And then what happened? Magical run in uh, late October and an undefeated November. Is that going to be hard to do this year? Hell yes, it's going to be hard to do this year. But I'm just saying, how are you going to react? Are you going to be like, well, I'm done. I'm not going back. Okay. If that's what you want to do, if you think that's what will get this team over the hump, then okay, you do that. Or are you going to rally around and go, it ain't that bad. Losses suck. They freaking suck. But it ain't that bad. You know, you get some guys healthy again. You string together a couple wins. You go down and get a win against Coastal Carolina. That's going to, that's a step in the right direction. Then you compound that with a win in Boone against App State. Now all of a sudden, what are you? Right? You're six and three, bowl eligible. Still got a couple games on the schedule. You're right back in the hunt. I, I did make one mistake of, of saying that Marshall's SBC title hopes are on, and I use the term, life support. We played on a Thursday. Everybody else didn't play till freaking Saturday. And some teams lost that I thought would win, and some teams won that I thought would lose. And it really put a huge shakeup in the standings. I was premature in saying that. Shouldn't have said that. Is it going to be an uphill battle? Yeah. Georgia State's in the driver's seat. But you just never know who's going to win in the SBC East every single week. So I got humbled a little bit, and I'm okay with it because I'm the type of fan that can take that medicine and, you know, kind of refocus. So if you're that type of fan too, don't be afraid in admitting you were wrong. I was wrong, and I'm saying it into a microphone for literally thousands of people to listen to, and I'm okay with it, right? I was wrong. I shouldn't have reacted the way I did. I'm still not okay with our fans booing, but I was wrong. Personally, I was wrong the way I reacted, and I didn't even do anything that bad. I should have just let things marinate and simmer down and reflected for a couple days. You guys do what you want to do, but that's my two cents. Russ, uh, if you've got anything else, let me have it. Um, otherwise, take us out of here. Well, I'll just say that I will be at Coastal this uh, this weekend. We are also going down to Boone the following weekend, and then we'll be at the home game after that, and then we'll miss the South Alabama game just because of logistics. I can't get down there, and then we're going to be back here for another game at home. I'm going to go to every single game that I can. I'll be riding with the team, whether they're 0-12 or they're 12-0. I just love Marshall, and I wish that everyone else would be and, you know, we talk, you're in the same boat this week, but most week you're, you're right there with me. You know, uh, we, we, uh, we just need to do a better job as a fan base to say, I love watching the team play, not I love watching the team win. We got spoiled like hell in the nineties, spoiled like hell. And it's not the nineties. Football is different. We're in different conferences. Everything about it is different. And the game changed with 
NIL, the game changed with the transfer portal. The game changed with different uh, uh, offenses and defenses and Mm -hmm. things. It is not the same game. So let's just take a breath and – I don't know about you, but I'm going to be watching and I'm going to be going to whatever I can. So no matter whether you see us at the Joan, whether you see us at the camp, or if you see us down at Coastal fighting those beach chickens, no matter where you see us, we're going to be saying, go Herd. Go Herd, it's the Thundercast. We'll have your preview for Coastal Carolina here in a couple of days. And don't forget, herdbricks.com. you got less than a week to secure your brick. We'll see you in a couple of days. Later.